Chapter Three of the Boy Scouts in the Rockies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kenneth Sargent Gagan. The Boy Scouts in the Rockies by Herbert Carter. Chapter Three: The Letters of Fire on the Cliff. Now, how do you know that, Alan? Do you reckon he tells the same way you would? Asked Stephen, immediately interested. Some of the others had seen the Maine boy do various stunts along the line of woodcraft on previous occasions, and among others, he'd been able to tell just about how many hours previous a fire had been abandoned by the feel of the ashes. As Giraffe always declared, "Pretty much the same, I suppose." Stephen replied the other pleasantly, for Alan, being one of the officers of the patrol, was always glad to find any of the scouts interested in picking up information and never refused to assist to the best of his ability toby was examining the ground around the ashes with those snapping eyes of his small in point of size but capable of taking in every point going how do you suppose he did it persisted stephen who was very determined once he had set his mind on anything stubbornness some of his campmates called it Oh, there are ways easier to grasp in your mind than explain, Alan remarked. You just seem to know a thing some hidden instinct tells you. I might say you feel a deadness in the ashes that's different from fresh ones. And then there's the looks that tell you whether the dew has fallen on them or not. In this case, Toby, I reckon, has found out that they might seem mighty fresh, and so no night has passed since the last spark of fire died out. There are other ways of telling about how many nights ago it might have been, if an old one, but you ought to make a practice of studying these things connected with fires, Giraffe. Instead of always being wanting to make fresh blazes, you should find the matter mighty interesting and worthwhile. I'll give you my word. Say, that does give me an idea, exploded the tall scout. Maybe, I'll just as you say, Alan, everybody's going sore on me for wanting to always build fires and fires and fires. I've been able to start him every which way, from flint and steel to twirling a stick with a bow, after the style of them in the South Sea Islanders. And like old Alexander, I'm crying for new worlds to conquer. Well, here they are, just like you say, and connected with fires, too, right up my line, so to speak. Thank you for giving me the tip, Alan. I'm sure going to think it over. Thank goodness, exclaimed Stephen. Now, what do you say that for? demanded Giraffe, taking umbrage at once. If you ever devote your colossal mind to the job of seeing how many ways fires can be put out instead of started, the rest of us will have a chance to get some decent night's sleeps, because we won't always be afraid of the woods burning up with your crazy experiments. And Stephen moved a little further away from his chum as he said this, not knowing how Giraffe might take it. But the tall scout, after meditating over the matter for part of a minute, only remarked indifferently, Oh, that's all right, Stephen. You've got your faults, too, and big ones in the bargain, asked Bumpus here, if my faculty for making fires didn't save us from a whole peck of trouble that time up in Maine, when we found ourselves lost, a cold night coming on, and two partridges shot, and not a single match in the crowd to start a fire to cook the game, and keep us from freezing stiff, he knows. That's right, declared the fat scout instantly, and with a fond look toward Giraffe as memories of the occasion referred to came trooping into his mind, so that he could almost smell the odor of those cooking birds, thrusted near the delightful fire on the points of long splinters of wood. Meanwhile, the guide had come back to where the little party began to make preparations for the night. 
The packs have been taken from the backs of Molly and Mike, and everybody finding something to do in the bustle. Get anything? asked Thad, as Toby Smathers came up, a grin decorating his sunburnt but honest face. Oh, where's the colonel, all right, replied the guide. I know the mark of his hoofs among the thousands, and he's got them two poisoned sharks along with him. Waffles and dicky bird, they've been kicking out every night camp in the silver region, but they just about suit the idea of the colonel when he wants any dirty work done. And that's what you call finding a long-lost silver mine, do you? asked the scoutmaster, smiling. Well, according to the I.G. of the most decent miners, that same Roston had the first claim on that ere mine, and any fellow that rediscovers it ought to turn a third of the proceeds over to the family of the man has got our first. But you don't see Ketch, Colonel, Cracker doing any such foolish business as that. He gobbled the whole business down and snapped his finger at the widow and orphans. But there's just one thing I don't exactly understand about the marks hereabouts. Seems to be a boy along with the gang now. Whatever could such an old seasoned prospector and miner as Cracker want with a half-grown boy up in this part of the country when he's hunting for a mine that seems to have dropped out of sight? Like it fell through to China, that's what gets me. Perhaps I might be an Indian boy. We had a glimpse of such a half-grown brave skulking along. One day he seemed to want to count noses in our crowd the worst kind, and we wondered if he meant to steal anything. But after a while he just cut stick and cleared out, looking a lot disappointed over something. Giraffe here tried to get close enough to him to speak, but he was that shy he kept moving off all the time. We thought he might have expected to see somebody he knew among us, a boy perhaps, and when he found that we were a pack of strangers, he didn't want anything more to do with us. This wasn't any red-skinned boy, but a white, Toby declared positively. An Injun would have towed in and wore moccasins. But he had on shoes and turned his toes out all right. Civilized way. But then, just as you say, perhaps, it doesn't matter a row of beans to us who he was. We may run across him again, sooner or later. And again, maybe we won't. When the two tents were in position, it began to look jolly much like a camp, as Stephen declared. The mules were allowed to graze on the little turfs of grass that grew in spots around, where there was enough earth to allow such a thing. Close by was an occasional stunted tree from which the boys easily secured all the fire of the wood that was apt to be needed, and how genial that blaze did look in the coming night, as it shone upon the tents, smiling faces of the scouts and the general surroundings, so wild and lonely. Looks like we own the whole world, remarked Bumpus. When you just squint around and see the old Rockies towering up to the right and to the left, behind and before, say, this is what we've been looking for for a long time, ain't it, fellers? Bumpus seemed to be happier over the situation than any of the others. Really, it was queer of how deep an interest the stout youth had always taken in this trip to the wild northwest. It was he who first suggested the same, and on every occasion he had fostered the idea. Up in Maine, when they first heard about that rich reward offered for the recovery of the missing valuables that had been stolen from a bank, Bumpus had been the one to declare that they ought to recover them, so as to have plenty of funds in the treasury to pay the expense of the grand trip to the backbone of the continent. Those glorious mountains, which he saw so often in his daydreams, and yearned so much to visit. Of course, by the time every one of his chums had become filled with enthusiasm also, and there was no faint answer to this question on the part of Bumpus. Pretty soon supper was started, and that was a time when the scouts began to be more or less restless. 
tired as they might be when the delicious odors permeated the outermost limits of the camp no one seemed able to sit still the fact of the matter was that they were ravenously hungry and it was tantalizing to get the smell of the cooking with the knowledge that it would be at least half an hour before they could satisfy their appetites anyone who understands the makeup of average boys understands that i wouldn't like to be caught in parts of this valley in a cloudburst davy jones remarked i've been looking around some and there's signs that tell of floods long ago guess a feller'd have to hike some to get away if a wall of water came whirling down here but the hunting ought to be fine don't you think toby asked stephen who had begun to have aspirations to equal the records of several of his comrades and more than once declared that nothing less than a bighorn rocky mountain sheep would satisfy his ambitions i kind of just think i see the jumpers playing leapfrog along some of the cliffs that stand out against the sky yonder we'll find sheep sooner or later all right asserted the guide who was engaged in cutting wood for the fire and more than that he would not say being a man of words rather than big promises look at giraffe would you remarked stephen he just can't quit playing with fire all the time what's he doing now asked thad with a laugh and not bothering to look up for it happened that just when he was making some notes in his logbook fearing lest they slip his mind if he waited until after supper always oh, got a fire brand starting out there in the dark he's doing all sorts of queer stunts with it whirling it around several times then moving it up and down quick like after which he crosses it horizontally a few times why just look at him you'd think he was sending a message like we do with the wigwag flags in the daytime well that's just what draft is pretending to do right now said thad after he had taken one quick look only instead of using flags he's taking the light to make the letters with draft is a pretty good hand at heliographic work and all kinds of wigwagging you know i've talked with him by means of a piece of looking-glass on a sunshiny day more than a mile away and we managed to understand each other's first rate leave giraffe alone stephen he's a nervous scout you understand and he has to work off his steam some way there couldn't be any better than brushing up on his morse coat i think uh, perhaps you're right grunted the other but it does beat all how giraffe always finds satisfaction in playing with fire there's one good thing about it these days ventured davy jones what might that be sir asked the southern boy bob white looking up for he was assisting to get supper ready we don't have to be afraid of giraffe setting the woods on fire any more it take a job bigger than he could manage to get a fire going in this rocky valley and stephen laughed as he heard this for indeed the sparse and stunted trees that grew at intervals along the sides of the mountains did not seem to offer much encouragement to a would-be incendiary how much longer do we have to wait for grub asked bumpus sighing dismally what's that to you demanded giraffe from the outside the limits of the camp proper he having heard the plaint if you went without a bite for a week sure you could live on your fat bumpus but think of me why in two days time my backbone be rubbing up against my front ribs and another we would have a riot i got a space to fill all the time please hurry up fellows somebody blow the fire and make a cook faster won't you you might be doing the same giraffe instead of wasting all your surplus energy of swiping the empty air out there called out stephen disdainfully and yet with a slight touch of envy in his voice for truth to tell he aimed to equal the proficiency of the lanky scout in the signal line so they went on exchanging remarks as the minutes dragged slowly past each seeming more like an hour to the half-starved boys 
In vain did those who were doing the cooking tell them to keep their eyes anywhere but on the fire, because a watch pot never boiled. But by slow degrees the supper was nearing readiness. Bumpus was even making his mouth, giving signs of his eagerness to begin, and some of the others had even taken up their tin platters, hoping to be helped first, when Giraffe suddenly came jumping into camp, wildly excited. Thad looked up from his writing, half expecting to see him followed by a savage mountain wolf or possibly a full-grown grizzly bear. But to his astonishment, the boy who carried the burning faggot of wood cried out as well as he could in his great excitement. Thad, Alan, look, look. Somebody's making wigwag letters with a blaze like mine. Away up yonder on the face of that high cliff, and I could read it. Sure I could, and Thad. Oh, what do you think? It keeps on saying the same thing over and over all the time. I spelling out the words, help, help, help. Scoutmaster jumped to his feet instantly ramming a notebook deep down into his pocket as he grasped Giraffe eagerly by the arm, exclaiming, Come on and show me what you mean. I hope you haven't mistaken a star for a torch. End of chapter 3 Recording by Kenneth Sergeant Gagan